with you today and talk a little bit about uh, our continued series we, we're, we've been in called um, Words to Live By. I'm going to grab my table over here. And, and in our sermon series, we've talked a little bit about all the blessings that you see in Matthew chapter 5. And so if you've been here with us the last couple of weeks, you've, you've seen that, you've been a part of that. If you're watching us online, we're so glad you're here. We, we meet here at 1045. We'd love to, to see you and come have that. I, 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 we're at a, an interesting place where we're moving down the Beatitudes and, and talking about a couple of different things. And you know me, I like to kind of bring in some things that maybe you're familiar with, that you've talked about or thought about or read or saw. I like to bring something in just to get your mind thinking a little bit. And so for some of you, this is going to make a whole lot of sense. For some of you, you're going to go, John's again lost it again. But the, the thing you can always count on is that I do that often, right? And so at least I'm consistent in that. But, but I don't know how many of you bathed this morning. I'm hoping many of you, uh, really I'm hoping all of you, but that's, that's a different story. Some of you are night bathers. I understand that. Uh, I'm a morning person, shower, hot water, kind of wakes me up. Uh, that, that's a good thing. But do you remember ivory soap? Do you all, do you all know ivory soap? Do you all, you all see this? Uh, and, and one of the things about ivory soap that's really interesting is that their, their tagline has been, since 1840, by the way, uh, their tagline has been 99.44 percent pure. Uh, and then there's that little tag behind it says it floats. Now I, I don't really know what 99.44 percent purity means in regards to floating. Um, it's full of air. I don't know. But I mean if you throw a bar of ivory soap at somebody it's not air. It's going to hurt them, right? Uh, in, in 1858 uh, the son of Procter and Gamble, uh, the younger Procter, actually renamed um, ivory to ivory soap. It was called something else before that, but, but he actually got it from Psalm 45, 8 that says, uh, your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia from ivory palace stringed instruments make, your, make you glad. And so he actually renamed ivory soap based upon one of the Psalms uh, out of the Bible, being a, you know, and seeing the purity of ivory soap. And we like pure things, don't we? I mean, when you think about gold, uh, I don't know how many of you uh, bought jewelry for your loved one uh, this past Valentine's Day, uh, but you, you know, please tell me that you didn't spring for cubic zirconium. Uh, you, you went for the ring, right? And even though she can't tell visually, there's a difference. So I've been told, don't say anything to Amanda about that. She just trusts me, okay? Uh, but, but, but you look for purity. You look for things that are whole. And if you know anything about the purification process, basically what that means is that you're stripping it down to its essential and its only. Uh, that's kind of what purity means. And so if you, if you have 10 karat gold, you have other alloys. And so you have gold and other alloys in there. And it's not as soft. It's not as malleable. But it's, it's, it's not pure gold. Whereas you would get into the, the 14 and the 24 karat, you get more and more purity. It's gone through a different process. It's also more valuable too. And so we somehow seem to value purity in all that we see and do. Now, we may not personally be as pure, but we require that in others. And so that's why I say this morning, I hope you bathe this morning. And maybe you did use ivory soap, uh, and maybe you didn't, but, but I value that in you. And you're probably wondering, where's he going with this? I'm hoping you'll catch up with this a little bit later on, and maybe some of you who are, are, are born not anywhere near 1858, you might recognize these people. Now, this is, this is Chris Evans and, uh, and uh, uh, um, Jenny Slate, and Jenny Slate and Chris Evans uh, were longtime friends, and if you know Chris Evans, he's, he's Captain America, right? And so when the movie's made about me, he's going to be playing me, um, because we look a lot alike, right? 
and, and, and he's Captain America. And if you just look at his persona as Captain America, what you see him as this, this, this justice uh, do-gooder, the, the stands on the, uh, against evil and is, is, is right and good and pure, right, in, in all that he does. And, and even there's in one of the Marvel movies, um, somebody says something, a bad word, and he calls them out about their language. And then later on in another one of the movies, he says something that's not even close to that, and they call him out on his language too. And I think he said, darn it. You know, an old language, you know, can't believe he said that, right? And so Chris Evans is this, you know, all-American, good-looking guy and everything else. And Jenny Slate was a longtime friend of his. She is also an actress, too. She's been in some things. If you've ever seen the show Parks and Rec, she was in that. Um, she's one of the most obnoxious characters in, in any television show you ever see. Now, the reason why I put them up there is because people who, who admire uh, Chris Evans look at her and say she's not beautiful enough for him. She's not good enough for him. That his level of attractiveness is such that she does not meet anywhere near the standards that he requires. And so the public, uh, at least the, the fandom of Chris Evans, began to attack her because she wasn't good enough for him. To a point to where it put a major strain upon their relationship. And it was one of the key factors that actually broke the two of them apart. Now, I'm sure you probably don't care about that. But it is an interesting thing that... that, that we look at actors and celebrities who get paid to deceive us by portraying someone they're actually not, and we decide what's best for them based upon an external beauty level that we have somehow measured that. Does anybody else see a problem with that? But yet we all do that. We all look and we have these different levels of aesthetics that are pure for us, that we believe should be. If you don't believe me, um, just look at my wife. And then look at me and just go, he definitely married up. Amen, right? Not just because she's not here today. I can say these sort of things. But, but listen, the last church I served at for, for nearly 10 years, people would come up to me and they say, John, I don't know your wife. And I would explain who she was. And they would say, I know her. She's amazing. And it was almost this indictment, like, why did she marry you? And I, I'm just a little self-conscious about that. But that's okay. My dad does the same thing still. We've been married 21 years. There's a level of aesthetics that we look at and that we require, and we somehow put purity beside that, and we say, oh, well, this is right and good and holy. It's really not our place, but we can't help ourselves because in our flesh and in our sin, we look on the outside appearances where God looks on the heart, right? But we still want things to look nice, but we want them to function too. And so I'm going to show you this other slide, and this is going to be a little bit weird for some of us too. But this next slide here is, do you all know what these are? They're, they're cell phone towers. And, and just, just so we're clear on this, the, the one on the left there is, is this forest with this one giant tree. Epic fail, if you ask me. Because the ideal is to, to blend it into the environment where you can't see it. You know it's there. You know it works. But, but it's not supposed to be seen. And I don't know about you, but it's, you know, this is the one where the redneck lumberjack cuts into a metal pole, right? You, you, could, you know the guy who would probably do that. He's sitting in our church right now. But nonetheless, we, we look at this and just say aesthetically, I mean, I've never seen the cactus one, but I know they exist. Aesthetically, um, we want them to blend in the environment. We really don't want to know that they're there, but we want to know that they work, right? And, and we want both of those things. And, and so I bring all three of these things to, to help us understand that we have all these different ideals of what is right and good and blends in and is pure. And sometimes it's a matter of we want it to be pure, we don't want to talk about that. Or we want to see it in pure, but we really don't care what its surface level is or what's on the inside. Or we want it to be functional, but we also want it to be fashionable too. And all those elements kind of tie it together because, because if you hear nothing else this morning, what, what I want you to understand is we spend a lot of time, we waste a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of effort um, trying to fix the things on the outside 
when really the issue is on the inside. We, we try to clean things up. We try to make them perfect in our own little way aesthetically on the outside when really it's the inside is the issue. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We've been walking slowly through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're, we're getting towards the ends of the blessings and the Beatitudes where Jesus is talking about. And we find ourselves this morning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. And last week I told you that we're shifting from just an attitude uh, of a kingdom citizen in, in heaven, in God's uh, eternity, and, and we're moving towards the actions of what a citizen looks like. And so when we get to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, we see this simple verse up here. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, listen, those are great, nice, touchy-feely words, but when you really start thinking about that, there's a whole lot of confusion behind just those simple words. What does the pure in heart mean? Who is and who isn't the pure in heart? How can I be? How can I not be pure in heart? And then this whole ideal of seeing God. Hasn't everybody seen God? Or then again, has no one seen God? And so if you've been around church for a while, you know there's verses throughout the Bible that say no one's actually seen God. And then you have these whole other ideals out there saying, well, I see God every day. I see him in the, in the small miracles. I see him in his creation where he's revealed himself. And yes, that's actually true, but not his fullness. And so hold on to that ideal for just a second. Because in this, just the simplicity of this verse, what I want you to see is a couple things. That God is very much interested on the inside of you. He's very much interested in your heart. He's very much interested on what makes you tick, what makes you think, what makes you act, what makes you behold who you are, and how you present yourself, not just to the world, but to him as well. And so if you've never thought about that, if you think that God is very far off from you, or almost a, what some might term a deistic principle where God set everything in motion with the thump of his finger, and then he walked away and just left me to myself, that's not true. God very much is concerned about you and the inside of you and your heart, and the heart being the centrality of you. Secondly, a pure heart is not a symptom. It's a condition. It's a permanent condition. It is not just something that you obtain from time to time. It is something you fight for. It is something that you're molded into. But a pure heart is a continuous, ongoing condition. And so when God calls us the pure-hearted, or he says, blessed are the pure-hearted, he's saying those who are consistently of pure heart, who have been made pure, who have gone through a refining situation where God has purified them. And then the third thing I really want you to see, just in this verse alone, is to see God means to see him fully in his presence. To, to, to see God doesn't just mean to see a visualization of God, because after all, we are made in his image. And so the idea would be is that God would be similar to us in some way, but no one's ever actually seen him in all of his completeness except Jesus. And so to do so is, is, is a weird violation, because God himself is holy, and the word holy just simply means to be set apart. He's other than, he's consistent and whole within himself, and he is holy. And so many times in Scripture we're told that we should be holy because God is holy. Well, that's great and all, but how do I do that? What, is that? what does that mean I should be holy because God is holy? And because God is holy, he must be separate from that which is not holy, which would be pretty much everything else, including you and me. But he's saying in this a promise that you will blessed you will be given complete satisfaction, complete joy will be given to those who are pure in heart, and then they will see God. And so as the Pharisees and the Sadducees who may have heard some of this, or some of his disciples may have heard this the first time as he's teaching everybody, when they start hearing this, they get this really weird, confused thing going on, going, what does this mean to see God? We're, we're not sure about this. I mean, it is the desire, but we know that only the holy do that. And so for their culture at the time and for their teaching at the time, everything was done on the outside. 
The idea of holiness and purity was about your customs, your practices, about how you washed, how you prayed, how you dressed, how you did or didn't work on the Sabbath, how you obtain uh, and observe the 612 laws that were in, in the book of Leviticus. How you did all of those things determined your holiness. And it was to such a point that they realized that nobody could really live up to that standard. But the Pharisees says, not only can nobody live up to standard, we're just certain all the rest of you cannot either. We can, you can't. Ha, ha, ha. And so they looked at purity and the pure of heart from an external point of view by the things that you did, not by how God sees your heart. Does that make sense? And so they would look at, at, at that bar of soap and just think, well, it's pure in that it cleans the outside, but it really didn't do anything for you on the inside. Now, I know kids are eating Tide Pods these days, but that doesn't really make them any cleaner on the inside, okay? It's a terrible joke, and I probably shouldn't have said that. I'm really sorry. But if you just consider that for a second, we all do a lot of foolish things trying to clean up the inside of us, and really what we're trying to do is just clean up the outside so that everybody thinks the inside of us is a lot cleaner. Does that make sense? If, you, if, if I were to share one thing with you today at all, and you were to write anything down, it would be simply this. Devote your heart to God, and he'll take care of the rest. Devote your heart to God, and he will take care of the rest. And, and, and I say that not as just a play on words, but we really have to examine what we mean by heart. The heart of a person is the very centralness of who they are. It's not just the, the organ that pumps blood and sends it throughout everything. The heart of the person is who they are. It's the decision maker. It's, it's the, the function of that individual that moves them to or not to make certain decisions. The thing about someone's heart is when you say things like, I see their heart and I know they heart, their heart or they've shown me their heart, they've shown me their complete character. They've shown me who they really are. They've shown me in times uh, of stress and struggle and happiness and joy, I see them for who they are because they're consistent in being that person. And, and look, if you don't like who you are, cleaning up the outside is not going to fix a whole lot if you don't deal with the things on the inside. You need to get that heart purified. And so just for example, Matthew chapter 15 tells us this about the heart. Uh, Matthew 15, 18 through 20 says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and that's what defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witnesses, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands don't defile anyone. Jesus was having a conversation with, with the Pharisees, and they're saying, how come your disciples don't wash their hands? They pick up food with dirty hands, they eat things they shouldn't eat, and when they put that stuff in, that makes them unclean. And he said, no, 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 they were already unclean by what was inside their heart. And I can tell they're unclean because I can hear what comes out of their mouth. I can see what their hands do and their actions are. Because evil thoughts, slander, murder, and adultery, and all those other things, they don't, they don't cut, they're not external things. They start in the heart from the very being of that person. Well, the other thing that we see uh, about pure hearts especially, and this is a real challenge for us, and I, I want you to clue in on this, pure hearts can't have dual alliances. Uh, so many times when we think about what it means to have a pure heart is that we, we put our, our, our feet in two different situations or we become one person in this situation or a different person in another situation. And so just imagine as Jesus is teaching his disciples about being of pure heart, what he's saying to them is that you need to have a single-minded focus, that you need to be focused on what is good and what is right. You need to be focused on me and that you cannot, as James says, be friends with the world. James 1, 6, 8 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. And so I, I want you to understand that a double-minded person has two allegiances in his heart. 
and one is with this group and one is with that group. One is the, 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 the sin that I carry with me and I don't let anybody see because on the outside I'm all prim and proper and I'm cleaned up and I do all those things myself. But the other person, the person who I really am, the character with inside of me, the one who nobody else sees but my internet browser, that person's double-minded. That person is divided, and because he's divided, a, hand, a, a, a house divided against itself cannot stand, right? And so those types of double-minded attitudes and actions, whatever they may be, those things always get found out, and we want them to. Because it happens to the purification of the heart where God pulls those things out and says, listen, pick one or the other. You cannot have both. Pick one or the other, and in fact, as long as you are double-minded, you're not on me. You're not on my side. You have dual allegiances in your heart. You don't have a pure heart. You have a polluted heart. You have a divided heart. Well, John, well, how can we have a pure heart? What does the Bible teach us about having a pure heart? What does that mean for us to have a pure heart? I want to I give you a couple of examples about what it means to have a pure heart before we get to the whole idea of what that gets me, the ability to see God. So first of all, I just want to encourage you, don't be friends with the world. If you, if you flipped over to James chapter 4, some months ago we were in the book of James, if you picked over to James chapter 4, you would see that, 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 that James is really calling people out. I love the book of James because James is a practical kind of guy. He was the brother of Jesus, we believe. And so he saw some things. He didn't fully believe in his brother, but when he, when he saw him resurrect from the dead and, and saw him call him out, he began to understand his brother. And so he's got some practical wisdom for us to really look at. And James just kind of calls it like he sees it. And I appreciate that about him. And he says in James 4, 4, you adulterous people. Isn't that a great way just to greet people? You adulterous people. You, you, you dirty, ugly, horrible, lying, cheating people. Isn't that just warm and fuzzy? I mean, that, that's just awesome. It makes me want to listen more, right? You adulterous people. For the one who doubts, oh, I'm sorry, I just read that. You adulterous people, do, not, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He's, he makes it very clear, you're either for me or you're against me. You're either in the light or you're in the dark. And anyone who says that they're in the light and lies, they're lying to themselves and everybody else. You cannot be in both. You know, if you ever uh, are in a really dark place and you light up a flashlight, is it, is it a dark place or a poorly lit place? You know, and you start going in all these circumstances of it's one way or the other. But let me tell you something, if, it's, if there's a light on, it's not dark anymore. The difficulty is that we want to have the dark all the time and walk around in the light, and we can't have that. When our very soul, when our heart desires those things, we become an enemy with God because what we've said is, is on the outside, I will clean myself up, I will do all the nice things, I will say the right words I'm supposed to say, but on the inside, I want to hold on to all of those things. In doing such, you've made an enemy with God. I'm going to tell you something. You can make a lot of enemies with a lot of people, but you do not want to be God's enemy. And the reason why you don't want to be God's enemy is because he will win. He, he's already, listen, the only one who can defeat death can defeat you. Do, do you get that? And the worst thing is that each and every one of us, we're not only the enemy of God, we're also the enemy of the enemy. And this is not a situation where the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, because Satan is not my friend. But we try to make him our friend because we let him justify to us all of our sins and the things that we do wrong. And we try to do that on the outside by saying, oh, no, I don't do those things. But on the inside, you're double-minded and you're divided and you're an enemy of God. And so the first thing I would tell you to do that if you really want to have a pure heart is don't be friends with the world. 
That doesn't mean be some judgmental, everybody's terrible, the end is coming, God's going to destroy you, the reason why we have all these sicknesses and all these things in the world is because of this. Let me tell you something, that is true to an extent, because when sin entered the world, everything about the perfection that God created went bad. Not because God made it go bad, but because sin entered in the world, we knew the difference between good and evil, and that's a consequence for rejecting God. The world itself became enemies with God. And he wants to redeem that and make that right. But it's a choice. It's not going to be coerced. Don't be friends with the world. Don't be friends with the world by putting on a happy face and enjoying all the pleasures of the world that, that are offered to you, but on the inside saying, oh, no, 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 I'm a Christian. You have to be the both on the inside and the outside. You can't be either or. The second thing I would tell you to do is stay focused on God's business. James continues on in this passage in James chapter 4. And he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I mean, James just can't get off this, right? He just can't let you, let you alone. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Don't be double-minded. If you really want to have a pure heart, I promise you, you cannot do it on your own. I guarantee you there is nothing you can do. You can't even stop doing something to have a pure heart. You cannot do that on your own. And so James gives us great advice when he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, it is the holiness of God that keeps us separated from him. Because he is holy and we are not, when we draw near to him, when we invite ourselves to him with a pure heart, with a heart that is desiring to say, listen, I know things aren't right. I know I'm not living the way that I should. I know I'm not living up to how I was created. God, I want to draw near to you. I want to be more like you. I want to get to know you a little better. And if I draw near to you, you will draw near to me because your word has told us over and over that you are kind to the brokenhearted that you hear the cries of those out there, that you hear your children cry and you have compassion for them and you move to them and you have, as we talked about last week, mercy upon them. Compassion cares and mercy moves. I said that last week several times. And God moves himself towards us because he's compassionate. And he did so, he even took this giant leap and he told his son, I want you to leave heaven, the purity of heaven. I want you to go down to earth. I want you to live a sinless life. I want you to be an example, but I want you to be the bridge for all of those who are separated from me. And I want you to show them what you're willing to do to draw near to them because God's desire has always been to be with his people in fullness. When he created Adam and Eve, he walked with them in the garden. He spent time with them. And when they sinned, he threw them out of the garden and not just out of the garden, but out of the full presence of him. They were no longer able to be in the full presence. And so God, on some way, withheld his fullness from them because if he were to, to appear to them fully and completely, they'd surely die. This happened over and over with Moses in the burning bush. God reveals a portion of him. He, he's not incomplete, but he says, I'm only going to reveal a portion of myself to you, Moses, because if I reveal all of me, you will surely die. We want to know that God loves us and that, we, that he desires to be with us. And then we want to draw near to him. And when we get in God's business, we get into his word, when we spend time in prayer, when we spend time around other believers, we get into God's business and we're drawing near to him. And I don't know about you, but some of the darkest periods in my life is when I'm not reading God's word, when I'm not praying on a regular basis, and when I'm not fellowshipping with other believers. And guess what? I'm drawing away from God. And I don't know about you, but I draw away from my enemies, not from my friends. Do you get that? 
Am I the only one who feels that way? The third thing I would tell you to do if you're writing things down, it's not on the board, but if you're writing things down, have an honest conversation with God. What do you mean an honest conversation with God? Doesn't God know my every thought? Yeah, isn't that scary? I mean, he not only knows your every thought, he knows your motivation behind that thought. He, 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 knows, he knows the manipulation behind your motivation behind the thought. Do, do, you, do you get that? It's like you're pulling a fast one over on God. I mean, Jonah, I, 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 it's one of my favorite stories. Jonah starts off with uh, the book of Jonah. It says that Jonah gets in a boat and he's going to Tarsus uh, for, uh, trying to find a place outside of the presence of the Lord. No such place exists unless God deems it that way. Do you understand that? If God says, away from my presence, he's the king, he has the right to do so. And you don't just appear before the king uninvited. But when you have an honest conversation with God, you are inviting yourself into his presence. And the way that you have an honest conversation with God is 1 John 1, 9. It's a familiar verse for many of us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, I need to have a serious and honest conversation with you. I'm not telling you something about me you don't know already. Kind of like the exercise I asked you to do on the prayer request this morning. Listen, if you wrote down that one single word and said, God, this is what I want from you, you're not revealing to him something new. What you're coming into is agreement with him about what's really in your heart. And so maybe it was something obscure or something maybe you're not comfortable sharing out loud. I jokingly said, God, I want vengeance. That may truly be what you want is for God to enact his vengeance upon your enemy. It's what's in your heart. And he knows that already. And the ideal that you would just grab hold of that reality and say, I own this because this is what's in my heart and God can see this in me. But he also says that if you'll confess that to me, if you'll tell me what it is that's going on, if you'll have an honest conversation with me, you'll hear your... Anybody talk to themselves out loud? Anybody do that? You know, I, I started to practice a couple of years ago. I had to watch myself, especially when my kids were home. They're, they're out, of, out of the house now, but I had to watch myself. I got to where I would begin to read Scripture out loud instead of just silently sitting and reading that. And there's something interesting about hearing the words of Scripture, even like if you listen to it on a podcast or something else. There's something interesting about hearing those words of Scripture out loud and then hearing yourself say them. Because as you hear yourself say those things, especially like this, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hmm. Okay, so I have sins, and God is faithful. And he, he, he will forgive me, and he'll cleanse me because I'm dirty. And he'll take away my unrighteousness, which means that he must be righteous. And I caught myself reading things like this out loud in my my kids, if they ever heard that, they're like, what is wrong with dad? What's going on with dad? And listen, I could have very easily just said, hey, I'm having a real honest conversation with my creator. I'm actually, I'm actually embracing the reality of what he knows about my heart. And I'm saying these things out loud. And it was good for me to say these things out loud. And it has nothing to do with how weird this is. Because it's kind of weird, let's face it. But if I'll confess those things to him, if I won't keep those buried up in my heart, because remember, out of the mouth comes all those other things, malice, strife, murder, adultery, because it comes out of the heart. But when I say to him in an honest conversation, God, I need you. I need your love. I need your compassion. I need your forgiveness. 
I need your authority in my life. I need your cleansing. When that's what comes out of my heart and I can embrace that and hold that on and, and take captive those things, I'm having a real honest conversation with God and he begins the process of purifying my heart. He's heating it up a little bit to get all the impurities and the alloys out and saying that all that's left is a single-minded focus of me and who I am. The fourth thing I would tell you to do is, and this is kind of a big deal, is to, is to monitor your intake. Now, I know that, that has a lot of connotations, and we could broadly sweep that idea, but if you, if you really want a pure heart, if you want God to purify your heart, you have to make sure that you're, you're paying attention to that simple principle of garbage in and garbage out. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, he says, says uh, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I find that fascinating that he says, think about these things. He's saying, put that into your mind. Make sure that you're, you're looking and going, going, that is pure, that is holy, that is no, noble. And, and so when you're flipping through the TV or you're looking at a billboard or you're looking at someone else or even something that just causes you to stumble or sin, and you look at that and go, that's not good for me. That, that's not good for me because it's not pure, it's not holy, it's not noble. That's not good for me. And I sense that it's not good for me, which tells me that I'm at least a little bit in tune with talking to God. But when it becomes still not good for me, but I don't care, now I've become calloused and my heart has become calloused. I've begun to embrace my sin. And God, as in Romans tells us, he has left us over to ourselves. And that's a scary place to be. And why? Because we're enemies with God. Because our hearts aren't pure and we're double-minded. Do you see how all that works together? And so when God says, blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see the face of God. He tells us this last thing too, the fifth thing, if you're writing these things down, ask God to do all the heavy lifting. Because if you think about all the stuff that I've been talking about, there's a lot of things that, that you can do, but you cannot do all of it together. Another familiar verse, Psalm 51, uh, 10 and 11. And I actually put that up on the board this morning because I want us to see a couple of things here as we segue into this. When we ask God to do the heavy lifting, we're saying this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now here's the thing. We look at something that's impure and we, we stay away from it. We, we look at something that, that, is, that is not complete, that is not, and we set it aside. We set it apart in such a way to say that it doesn't meet our parameters and it's not on the level of acceptableness for us. We actually didn't make it pure. We didn't make it holy and set apart. We made it unholy by our own standards and pushed them away. And so when we have a heart that is double-minded, that is divided, that is friends with the world, that we're trying to live in both of those things, we can never do anything with, anybody multitaskers around here? I mean, multitasking sounds like a wonderful skill, but it's terrible because nobody does any two things with excellence. One of them always leans a little bit better. And if you do eight or 10 or 20 things, which you do, if you have a, a, a smartphone or, or something like that, trust me, you're, you think you're a multitasker. When really you're just multi-divided. You're, you're not even double-minded. You're like quadruple hexagonal divided. You know, there was, there was a story of, of a man and a woman that were driving down the, down the road and, and uh, this, this kid's got his headphones in and he's walking and he's looking at his cell phone as he's walking. All of a sudden, guy hits the brakes and slams on the horn, throws it in park, and jumps out and just starts screaming at this kid. You kids, you ought to pay more attention. You, you ought to watch where you're going. They ought to make, a, they ought to make an app that allows you to, to see where you're going while you're on your cell phone. About that time, his wife gets out of the car and says, honey, they did. They're called eyeballs. He looks at her with just this mean scowl on his face. 
And he says, what are you talking about? She goes, you're driving on the sidewalk again. Put down your phone. Some of you are going to catch that in a minute. You see, we multitask and we, we get our lives all full of all these other things and our heart gets so divided and we let some dark creep in, and let some other, but we're still trying to get all prim and proper and nice and pretty on the outside because we want people to see our very best in us. Let me tell you something. They're just as jacked up as you are. Some of the difference is, is they've embraced that and say, I can't fix that on my own. There's some things I can do, but at the end of the day, I need God to create in me a new heart. I need him to do the heavy lifting. I need him to put a right spirit in me, not the wrong spirit that I've been holding on to and I'm afraid to let go. I need him to put the right spirit in me. And the last part in verse 11 right there, cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. I really want you to clue on this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's not, it's not enough just to say, okay, God's purified my heart. He's done everything else. But this is how he's blessed me by having a pure heart. He's allowed me to see him. Now, Moses had a, had a desire to see God, but he was incomplete. And so God kept him at a distance, as I said earlier. And he kept him at a distance on purpose to preserve him and to save his life. And he says, if you're not holy, you can't come to me. Earlier on, Aaron, his brother, had, had a couple of sons who they would walk in and out of the tent of meeting. And this tent of meeting was basically like a mobile church, kind of like us. And, and they hauled it around wherever they were. And inside the tent of meeting is where God dwelt. And only could those who would go through the purification processes and were invited, like Moses, to come in could step into the Holy of Holies. And these two boys kept walking in and out because they didn't know the rules yet. And God said, tell them to stop doing that. And they didn't do it. And they went and they, they offered what was what's called an illegal fire or, or there's other terms for it. But they, they lit fires and their own incense and everything else. And they walked into the presence of God uninvited and uninitiated and unprepared and unholy. And God took their lives. And what's so strange in that passage in Exodus is that Aaron went on about his business. He didn't even mourn for his children because they had been told not to do this. They had violated God's laws. But here's the thing that I really want you to see on this. Blessed are the, are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, listen, if God is so holy that I'm going to walk into his presence and die, do I really want to see that? I mean, that's kind of spooky. I mean, some of us have heard the stories of how the priests used to tie ropes around their feet when they'd walk into the temple, the holy and holy. If there was any unconfessed sin or any sin that hadn't been sacrificed and washed with blood, they'd be struck dead and they'd have to pull them out by a rope because nobody could go in there after them. I mean, you all heard those stories? And so what does this mean, this whole cast me not from your presence as we see in Psalm 51? Well, look, to see God, there's three things about this that I want you to see. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. To see God is to be in his presence. Now, what I mean by that is to be in his relational presence. So I told you, Chris Evans is going to play me in the movie, right? And, and so, Because we, we, we resemble each other so much. And so basically, you can start calling me Captain America if you want, okay? Chris Evans and I, we're, we're at a restaurant together and we're eating. Now, he's at one table and I'm at another table. I'm in the presence of Chris Evans. More to the point, he's in my presence, Right? Now, when I say that, that I'm in the presence of Chris Evans, Captain America, that just means we're geographically in the same place. But relationally, I'm not in his presence and he's not in mine. Well, that's very similar to what we talk about, seeing the face of God, seeing him fully. is that we see him from a distance, but we don't get into his relational presence. And, and so Exodus chapter 40, verse 34 and 35 
This is the story of Moses, and it says this. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And so you, you see this, and what you understand is, is from a distance, Moses could see God, but he could not enter into his relational presence. So many of us feel like God is so distant from us because we have a divided heart, not a pure heart, and that we can't walk into his presence. And you don't walk into the presence of a king uninvited. If you read the story of Esther, you see that that was one of the no-nos. And for such a time as this, God saw favor on her and she got the king's favor on that. But you don't walk into the king's presence uninvited. Pharaoh had this issue with Moses and all the rest of them. You didn't walk up to Pharaoh and say, hey, man, what's up? High five. Your life would be over. And so with an unpure heart, with a divided heart, we will not see God. And what that, that says in one sub is we will not be in the relational presence of God. It doesn't mean he doesn't exist. It doesn't mean he doesn't want us around. It just says we won't be in the relational presence of God. Secondly, we will, to be in the presence of God, to see his face, we will bask in his glory. Revelation chapter 21, verses 23 says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb of God. The basket of the glory of the Lord is to see His goodness and His purity and His holiness and to not be afraid of it. To not tremble at it as fear for death, but tremble at it at its authority and its love for life. And finally, the last thing, and I put this verse up on the board, Revelation chapter 22 to see God means to belong in his kingdom. I met with a leadership group this morning. It was something that we, we talk about often is that, that in our church, we want people to understand that they belong here. Even though they may not believe what we believe, not yet. We pray that they will. We hope that they will. But we want them to belong here to know that you're welcomed here, that you are loved here because, one, you were made in the image of God. Two, you're a sinner just like we are. And we know that God's mercy and grace has been bestowed upon us through the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness of our sins was taken at his life. And that same invitation is given to everybody else. And so we want you to know that you belong here. And that you belong here regardless of what you believe. But to belong in God's kingdom says that I want to adhere to, to his authority. I want to adhere to his rule. And I want to enjoy his presence forever and ever. And so Revelation chapter 22, verse 3 and 4 says this. No longer will there be anything accursed. Pure heart, sanctified, purified, justified. No longer will be anything that is a curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. I don't know about you, but if you write somebody's name on my forehead, you're not going to think about me, you're going to think about that name, aren't you? I don't know about you, but if it's saying there's nothing, Nothing a curse, no pain, no sorrow, no tears, no hunger. I'm going to be in the full relational presence of God. I'm going to belong in his kingdom. That means that the king is going to protect me as well. And I belong to him, and I get to be a citizen in him. And I won't worry about all those other things. I'll just worship him, and I will get to see his face. So many times in the past, we talk about seeing the face of someone. You ever had anybody lie to you? It's the really bold ones that look you right in the eyes, isn't it? It's the really, it's the really bold ones that are psychopaths. Let's just call them what they are. Who can just lie with a straight face, not have any emotion to it whatsoever. You ever see someone that you really respect, that you look up to, that you admire? You ever afraid to look at them in the face? 
You ever kind of kind of bow a little bit to them? Not that they're lording anything over you, but you just have such admiration for them. Now you could be a liar, or you could be humble. God says that when you have a pure heart, when you're invited into my full presence, you'll see me, every part of me. Nothing will be hidden from you. Nothing will be off limits. My full presence will be in your glorified body that I'll give to you. Because I'm going to make all the hurt and all the pain and all the sorrow and all the agony, I'm make all that go away. But I'm going to do it at great sacrifice by the blood of my son Jesus. He was sent for the salvation of all if they'll but receive that. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you're double-minded, if your heart's divided, if you're trying to be friends with the world, and you're wondering, where's God when I need him? Where's God when I cry out to him? There's so much other noise out there that you can't hear that. Set yourself on the right path. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Those are good words to live by. They're good things to aspire toward. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege of your word and the truth of your word. Thank you, God, for how you love us and provide for us. And God, I know sometimes it's, it's challenging to, to look through Scripture and to hear some of the things that you say to us and even to put ourselves in that situation. And Lord, even just the whole idea of having an honest conversation with you is a little bit frightening some days because, well, if I'm being honest... I don't want you to know the real me. I don't want others to know that either. I don't want them to know my, my hurt or my anger, or my frustration, my sorrow. I, I want them to see the, the outside that looks all pretty or maybe just blends into the background. I want them to think that I'm pure because of the things I do, not what's really in my heart.